The Ventura campus will be joining us, us today, so let's give them some love. Ventura, we love you. Our title this morning is When God Doesn't Meet Our Expectations. Matthew 11, 1 through 6, reading from the NIV, says this. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense of me. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have your word this morning. That we have it to not only read from, but to study And allow your Holy Spirit to minister these truths to our lives. And Lord, we we ask that you'd give us understanding to what your word is saying this morning. That you would allow it to apply to our own lives. That we would see the connection that it has to our own circumstances and our own situations. And Lord, we pray that we would come away today with a grand view of God. We just declare now, God, that you're good. Despite our circumstances and despite our own preconceived ideas, we declare that you are a good God. That you know what's best. That you're powerful and that you're all-knowing. And that your ways are better than our ways. And Lord, we want to receive from what you have this morning. We ask that you'd soften our hearts to do so, that you would focus our minds to hear what you have to say. And in the same way that you answered John's questions, so many of us have our own questions this morning, Lord. So many of us have our own things that we want to know, and we ask, Lord, that you would shed light and reveal yourself to us as we ask them this morning. So come, Holy Spirit, have your way with us. This is your time. This is your word. We're your people. Thank you that you're our good shepherd. Love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, at this time of this historical account of our text this morning, Israel was in a pretty bad state. You know, at that time in the first century, Israel was under the control of the Roman Empire. They were oppressed not only politically, but socially and financially through taxation. And for thousands of years up to this point, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, was always looking for a Messiah, a Savior, one that would come rescue them. And in this case, at this time... It was from Roman rule and Roman oppression. The nation of Israel was looking to end war and end strife and give peace to the land that for years and years were fought over and the people were exiled and the land was divided up. 
And the Jewish people at this time were holding on to hope of salvation and freedom from evil and freedom from oppression. They were looking for a Messiah. And compared to us in our world now, we may be in a very different culture and a very different time, but we too are facing some pretty overwhelming and saddening state of affairs. Right? You turn on the news. You look at Twitter. I mean, anywhere you look, it's just devastating. It's almost hard to watch the news. It's hard to hear what's going on in our nation and around the world. Everything from you know, ter- terrorism to the refugee crisis to disease and poverty, abortion. Just this presidential race right now. And we all wish that these all, all these problems would be fixed and that God would just come in an instant and make all things right. It might be a different time and a different culture, but we're in a very similar spot in the nation, than the nation of Israel was. And in our text this morning, it starts with John the Baptist. And to remind you of who John the Baptist was, John the Baptist was, you know, the proclaimer of the king. He was the forerunner of Christ. He was the man, you know, that wore camel's hair and ate locusts in the desert. And he was the baptizer. He was the one who was ushering in the kingdom of God. He was the forerunner of Christ. He was telling those that there was one greater than him that would come. That not only would baptize with water, but it would baptize with fire. John was a herald of the gospel. He's the one that when he saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That concept that sins would ever be taken away once and for all was so foreign. Because year after year they had to go to the temple and make sacrifices so their sins could just be covered up for a time. But Jesus was the one that was going to come and take away the sins of the world. John, when Jesus came on the scene, he so famously said in John 3.30, I must decrease so that Christ must increase. This is John the Baptist. In our text this morning, John the Baptist has been imprisoned for these things. He's been imprisoned for being faithful to God. He's been imprisoned for being a forerunner of Christ and baptizing those people in the name of the Father. In the name of the Father. We see this in Matthew chapter 4. We see in coming chapters, Matthew 14, of the reason why he was imprisoned. But nonetheless, John the Baptist is in prison. And John gets word of all that Jesus is doing. And that's Matthew 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. His miracles, his teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, all these things that we've studied over the course of the last few months, John the Baptist is hearing these things from prison. And John sends his own disciples, his own followers, to go find Jesus and ask Jesus a question. And the question is is rather simple and straightforward. It's, It's, are you the one who was to come? That phrase, the one who was to come, is actually a technical term for Messiah. It's a messianic title based on Old Testament prophecies we see in Psalm chapter 40, verse 7, Psalm 111, verse 26. John's question 
that he asks his disciples to ask Jesus is, are you the one who was to come? The Messiah being, are you the one that has been promised and prophesied about? Are you the one that we've been hoping for and waiting for? Another way you could read it as, have you come to save us and free us from Roman rule and political oppression? Are you the Messiah and are you the Savior? Before we get to the answer... If you're tracking with me who John the Baptist was and what he's already done, this is a very strange question. Like, John, why are you... Seriously? You're seriously asking Jesus if he's the Son of God. We've We've gone through this. You're the one that told everyone else he's the Son of God. Doesn't make sense. We should... We should... We should get that this morning. This is a very odd, strange thing for John to be asking Jesus. And the question we have to ask is, why was John asking this? You know, was he just so beaten up in prison that he was doubting? Was John just not seeing the results that he was hoping for? We can guess that John, being in prison, was discouraged. He was doubting. He was wondering Perhaps if he had got it all wrong. Here's the deal. John was not doubting the authority of Christ as the Son of God. That's clear. He wasn't doubting that Jesus was the Son of God. But he was doubting the way in which the kingdom of God was being manifested. John was hearing these teachings and hearing about what Jesus was doing in the Sea of Galilee. And he was hearing the Sermon of the Mount. And he was getting all these stories bit by bit in prison. And he was doubting how the gospel or how the Messiah was presenting and ushering in the kingdom. It wasn't matching John's ideas of what the Messiah should be like. And I believe that John had some honest confusion and some honest reservations about what Jesus was doing. I mean, even where Jesus was doing it. The Sea of Galilee in northern Israel, it was so not prominent. You know, Jerusalem was really where Jesus should have been. The Sea of Galilee is like the northern backwoods of Idaho. And Jerusalem would be like Washington, D.C. And if there was real change going to happen, then Jesus, why aren't you in Jerusalem? These are the things that are going through John's head. Jesus, why are you up in the backwoods of Idaho healing this one guy? These are honest questions and honest reservations that John is having about Jesus. And think about it a little further. John may have thought, if I am the Messiah's forerunner, and if Jesus is the Messiah, then why am I in prison? Like, I... The king, the coming, conquering king has come to save us. I'm in prison. John needed reassurance and clarification because John was looking at what Jesus was doing, but he was also feeling the pain of prison and his own state of affairs, and things just didn't match up for John. Like, I just don't get it, Jesus. I just don't understand what is going on. And what John had was he had expectations. He had expectations 
of how Jesus was supposed to come and what he was supposed to do. John had ideas of things. You know, Jesus, you should be here and you should do that. He had ideas of ways in which the Messiah should do things. And, 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 and frankly, he didn't expect to be in prison. Right, the forerunner of the Messiah, he was thinking, I'm going to be right by Jesus' side and we're going to do this thing together. Victoriously, empowered. But that wasn't the case. And worst of all, and what's ironic, is that John was imprisoned by Herod. Herod at the time was like the embodiment of the oppressive establishment of the Roman government. I mean, that was like the face of Roman oppression was Herod the Great. The the irony there that John is imprisoned by the exact person that John thought Jesus was going to come first for, pretty much. John's expectations weren't aligning with his experience. Let's, let's sit on that first. John's expectations of God weren't aligning with his present experience. He believed. He had been faithful. We'll learn next week that Jesus talks about John. I mean, he says there's no one greater born of a woman than John the Baptist. I mean, it wasn't that John the Baptist had done something wrong. He was absolutely faithful and bold for Christ and the gospel. He believed. But his belief in God and how God would play out wasn't aligning with his experience. And many of us here, all of us here, we also have expectations. Right? Turn the table a little bit. Turn the table not on John, but on us. We have expectations about a lot of things in life, right? Like how life should be, how certain things are supposed to happen. All the time you hear about it. At this time in life, there's this expectation that we're supposed to have this, that, and the other, right? And, and society and culture, you know, perpetuates this or even tells us what we're supposed to have. And so we have lots of expectations. We have lots of uh, things that we feel like we're entitled to or we should have. And even as Christians, we may have expectations of how our life is supposed to go because we have Jesus now. And in a lot of ways, you know, as Christians, we think, oh man, our lives are just supposed to be good and happy clappy and full of joy and nothing's supposed to go wrong. And none of us here can say we don't have expectations. We all have them. And man, if, if Paul was the chief of sinners, I am the leader of expectations. I am the king of having high expectations, lofty ones, And it gets me in trouble all the time. Get let down all the time. I don't know what it is. I just, I have so many expectations of everything in life. And I'm sure I'm no different than you. I'm I'm pretty skewed. I'm probably pretty high on on the scale. But we all have them. We all have ideas of how our life should be going or should have gone. Every day we have expectations. And like John, we all have 
quote, our, our, our own prisons. John was in prison. He, that was his issue at the time. That was his way in which he was suffering at the time. And we all have those things in our lives that we go through. Right? We all have trials. We all have drama. We all have a relational discord with coworkers and family and friends. We have financial problems. I mean, we all have these prisons in our lives. And I'm guessing, and I don't think it takes much guesswork, that most of us at one time or another have gone to Jesus like John did and been like, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? Why are you allowing these things to happen to me? It's not how it should be. I, I would be, I don't think that any of us are free from that. I know for me, I can think vividly to times when I'm like, God, you told me about this. Why isn't that happening? Or, or God, I, 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 I read your word and I see who you are and you're good and you're God and you're, and you're in control and you're able and you're, you're completely capable of changing the fate of my life, but it's not. I'm still in this problem. I still have this drama. I still am in prison. See how it hits home real quick? What's important to note is that if John doubted the greatest born among women, it's okay for us to have bouts of doubts. You know, there's, there's this common misconception that all saints can't or don't doubt. But Matthew clearly here tells us that this happens. And, and there's times where we doubt or have, you know, concerns for good reasons. But like John, we need to go to God for the answers. And that, that's really important. It's okay to have these bouts of doubt, these, these, these honest confusions, these honest you know, expectations that are unmet. But like John, we need to go to God for the answers. It's important that we take our unmet expectations and our doubts to Jesus. We go to him for the answers. It's dangerous when we just live in those doubts, believe those doubts, walk in those doubts, and we never come to Christ. We never lay them at his feet. We never go to his word. We never surrender them to him. We never ask him even. But John has these concerns. He has these doubts. He has these unmet expectations of that, that, that Jesus isn't meeting in his mind. And so he sends his disciples and he asks Jesus this question. Are you the one who is to come? And here's Jesus' response to John's inquiry. He says this. Verse 4. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. That there's, there's, there's a significance there. It's, it's, it's like a comp comprehensive answer. Hey, Go back and report all that you've seen and heard and everything here. And he says this. This is his answer. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Notice 
that Jesus doesn't give a straightforward yes or no. Jesus does this a lot if you, if, if you read the Bible. Are you the Messiah? Let me tell you about what I've done. Wait, but yes or no? But what he does is he describes the ways in which he's been God. He's described in which the way the kingdom has come, that the Messiah has come. And rather than say yes or no, straightforward, he lets or allows his supernatural and miraculous actions to answer the question. And John would have heard that. And he would have got it loud and clear. He would have understood the answer to his question. But it's significant. Jesus doesn't actually answer with a direct quotation of Scripture. A lot of times Jesus does that. He, he, he brings the Old Testament and he, and, he, and he says an exact or a direct quotation of Scripture. But he doesn't do that this time. He just alludes to messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. See, there were specific miraculous signs prophesied about in the Old Testament several times that only could be done by the Messiah. They're called messianic miracles. That when these miracles happened, they could only be attributed to the power of God working in the Messiah, the Son of God. And we see that several times. I'll just give a couple examples here. One I have on the screen is Isaiah 35, 4 through 6. This is part of what Jesus is alluding to with his answer. He says, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Look at that, verse 5. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongues shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. In Jesus' answer, he's alluding to the blind now seeing, and the deaf now hearing, and the lame now leaping like a deer. Also, Isaiah 61, 1 through, C, excuse me, 1 through 3 says, The Spirit... Of the sovereign Lord is on me, speaking of Christ, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. See that right there. His last thing that Jesus responds to, to John's inquiry, was that he proclaims good news to the poor. Jesus' actions... And his miracles give evidence and support to his claim to be God. And to be the Messiah. And after hearing this, John would have said, okay, I get it. Yes, you are the one that was to come. But still, even though these are amazing and incredible and only could be done by the Son of God, they still weren't necessarily the same in the same, done in the same way that John and the rest of Israel wanted them to be. Right? They were looking still for freedom from Roman oppression. That's a good thing that you just healed that one guy in the northern woods of Idaho. Good job. But Jerusalem is burning still. That's what, that's, that's what they're looking for. And see, John specifically was a prophet that really wanted judgment to come. <laughs> 
I mean, I mean, John the Baptist was like a fire and brimstone kind of preacher in the wilderness. Repent, for the kingdom of, of God is at hand. You know, in Matthew chapter 3, he goes into this whole thing about, you know, the wheat and the chaff need to be separated and you need to take the axe to the, to the you know, the tree that's not bearing fruit. I mean, this, he wanted judgment. John's like, enough is enough. It's time for Jesus to come and, and do some business here. And as we know, judgment will come. To, to settle John's heart real quick, judgment will come. We'll see that in this same chapter two weeks from now. Jesus brings a lot of judgment. We'll see Jesus, we'll see Jesus as the judge. Judgment just wasn't immediate, but it wasn't forgotten. Judgment wasn't immediate, but it wasn't forgotten. But Jesus, as he just told John, was first here to bring good news. See, Jesus didn't first bring political freedom. He brought spiritual freedom. He didn't bring political peace. He brought eternal peace. Right? Jesus didn't deal or treat with the symptoms of society. He went after the root of humanity's problem, which is sin. We know that now. You know, this is, this is, this is pre-cross right here that John's in prison and he's asking these questions to Jesus, but Jesus came to heal us and save us from the condition of our hearts, our sinful, lost, deceptive, and evil hearts. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus was doing what he was doing, because there was, there was a bigger problem at hand that John didn't even see that Jesus was confronting. But many of us, we want what John wanted, right? I mean, many of us want what Israel wanted. We just want Jesus to come and to change all aspects of our society and our country and our world. And we want to turn on the news and just see nothing bad happening. And everything is good and everything is right. We want Jesus to come and end all of our problems to fix everything that is broken. And we so desperately... And if we're honest, maybe even more than that, we, we so desperately want Jesus to get us out of our own prisons. And you notice that's, that's, that's John's concern. It was a personal concern. Yeah, there, there totally was that, that question of, Jesus, aren't you supposed to free us from Roman oppression? But John was looking to get out of that prison cell first. And for us, in our version of how God works, Nothing bad happens, right? It's a world full of laughter and joy and our lives are free of any suffering whatsoever. You see, there's a common theme going on for John and for Israel and, and for us. The theme is we really want temporal effects. Like we want temporal change. And if we're honest... That's the main thing that we're praying about and we're concerned about, right? That fills our prayers are our temporal issues. The things that we're dealing with now and with this relationship and with this bill that we need to pay. And like, we're so concerned with here. And even, you know, Israel was like, God, free us from Roman rule. John, free me from prison. And for us, we've got a whole list of different problems in our lives that we want God to fix. Here's what's important that we understand, though. Is that God, most of the time, 
manifests his kingdom in ways that are different from what we expected. I I think that's a no-brainer. I think that if you've been a Christian for more than like a day, you realize that timing, specifically, is almost always different between us and God. We so often want things at different times or quick and right now, and God has this huge, better, bigger plan that he's like, no, you don't need that, or no, you're not, no. That can be really difficult, though. I mean, I mean, the hardest things that God has ever asked me to do is he's, he's, he said, hey, do this, but wait. Do this, wait. I'm like, God, I would rather you tell me to climb Mount Everest and be this difficult adventure than for you to just say, stop, be still, wait upon me. I don't know if you're like me, but I would so much rather God say, do this really hard thing than just sit down and be still. So often, that's how God works, though. And in hindsight, don't we see those situations in our life and don't we say, you know what? God knew better. His timing was perfect. He was good. His ways were better than my ways. And, and, we can, and we can recognize after the fact, but so many times when we're sitting in our prison cells, we struggle with that. But we need to remember that most of the time, God manifests his kingdom in different ways than are expected. You know why? We need to keep at the forefront of our mind the truth that he is God and we are not. I say that to myself all the time. And it helps. So often I want to be in control. I want to set my own timetable. I want to do my own thing. Even when it comes to the things of God, my personal relationship with Christ. But I need to remember, we need to remember that God is God and we're not. He's the one that's in control. What's also important that we grab hold of this morning is that, and this is a hard truth, this is a really hard truth, but that God many times does not free us from our prisons. He doesn't. He doesn't free us from our temporal circumstances. Suffering still continues. Problems don't end. This was true for Israel. Roman rule still went on. Still oppressed by Rome. John, we're going to read about in a few chapters in Matthew. He never got out of prison. He died there. John the Baptist. He he never got out of prison. He died there. And many times, it's not God's will that he gets us out of our prisons. And so often, that's our prayer, right? There's a storm in our life, and God, stop the storm. And sometimes he does. But sometimes he doesn't. But we need to believe. We need to trust and believe that God has better plans. And that God is concerned about the eternal when we are so concerned about the present, the temporal. And that's the difference between us and God. We're so jaded sometimes with what's before us that we're not praying or thinking or hoping for what's eternal. And in the scenario that we have this morning, Matthew 11, John, as he asked these questions, was looking at his prison cell 
while Jesus was looking to the cross. See the difference there? Jesus was ushering in the kingdom of God with the pinnacle being Him dying on the cross for all the sins of humanity. And what John was doing was John was just seeing the prison cell. God, this shouldn't be. And Jesus is like, John, there's something bigger here that I'm doing. Saving the whole world. In our own lives, we have and will have expectations that will, that will not be met by God. That may leave us wondering and confused at times in this world. But I want to give us hope this morning in that one day we will be in glory. One day there will be no prisons and life will not be filled with drama and unrest and pain and evil. Hope has come and hope is coming. Are you following me? You know, many thought that Jesus the first time was going to come as a conquering king riding on a big white horse. And he will. But that's the second coming. But first, Jesus came as a humble, suffering servant on the back of a donkey. And we live in that tension. We live in the tension of the kingdom of God has come. But it's not fully here yet. The here, but the not yet. You know, the kingdom of God was inaugurated when Jesus came on the scene. When these miracles happened, when he died on the cross, the kingdom of God was brought to earth. But the consummation of the kingdom of God won't fully happen until he comes a second time. Hope has come, but hope is coming. The here, but not yet. We live in that tension. That's why now in this room, in our world we live in, that's why it's so hard to live in this world. Because things don't make sense. We live in the here, but not yet. To kind of just wrap up and to, to, to leave us with something. Because it's really important that we, we take a few things home. That when and they will, things don't go the way we've planned. We're going to admit that, right? Things are not going to go the way they've planned. When suffering comes, when hardship occurs, when trials and tribulations plague us, because they will. When our expectations of God don't meet our own experiences. right? When our own expectations of what God should be doing don't meet our current experiences, we must do a few things. We have to do these things or else you'll turn away. You'll be discouraged. You'll be, you'll, you'll, your joy will be robbed. You'll be hopeless. The first thing that we have to do is trust that God is who he said he was. Our text this morning, John questioned this, right? God, are you sure? Are you really? I don't see it. But God is who he said he was. He's the one true living God, the Messiah, and our Savior. We need to trust that God is who he said he was in the pages of Scripture. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that we read about in here is the God present with us now. We have to trust that God is who he said he was. We also need to trust that God is in control over the big stuff and over the little stuff, over the minutia over the huge life decisions, over the entire world, God is in control. 
We have to trust that He is sovereign and all-knowing and all-powerful. We have to trust and believe that as Isaiah chapter 40 says, He holds the span of heaven in His hand. He holds the heaven in the span of His hand. He's that big of a God. We have to trust that His plans are better than our plans and His ways are better than our ways. We have to trust in that. You have to Believe that God knows better than you do. We have to live out of that truth. We have to live out of the truth that God is in control or it just won't work. We also need to remember that he is with us. You know how we were talking about that sometimes that God doesn't stop the storm? But we need to know that God's always in the boat. The storm might not stop. It just might feel like there's nothing ever better coming for your life. I've been in those seasons of life, right? Like what's next? You're so discouraged about life that you're just waiting for something bad to happen next, right? You're just, what's going to happen next? In those moments when we're in our prison cells and we're in the storm and we're getting beaten up, you need to remember that he's in the boat with you. You need to hold on, believe, trust in, and pray about Psalm chapter 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me, and your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. That's our God. And lastly, we need to remember what He has promised. That he is coming back. That there is a time that all things will made, be made right. And there is much to hope for. We need to break away from our temporal way of living, thinking and praying. And we need to look and go, God has promised that one day he will wipe every tear away. And he is coming back as a conquering king on that big white horse. And everything will be made right. I want to end with a scripture. It's a letter from Paul to the church in Corinth. Paul's exhortation to them. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. It says, This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our, our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for the truth of your word this morning that reminds us of your character and your attributes and your plans for us. And we, as much as it seems like at certain times in our life that you're not good, we say no to that and declare that you are a good God. That you're a God that knows us best. That has the best plans for us. That your will is better than our will. Your ways are better than our ways. 
And Lord, for many of us, we feel like we've been in prison for a really, really long time. And we are beaten up and we are discouraged and we're, we're tired and we're weary. We pray that you would meet us in this place. That you would be the lifter of our heads once again. That you would remind us of these glorious truths. That not only are you with us and not only that are you in control. But there is hope that one day the evil, the sin, the hurt, the discord, the drama will all be gone. And all we will have is your presence and your glory forever and ever. We long for that day. Would you give us a greater eternal perspective as we process our own lives, when we pray, when we think about our expectations, would you give us eternal expectations, not temporal ones? Change our hearts. We love you, Lord. We ask that you would come and we we ask that we would commune with you as we worship you now. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.